Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts to hear and to understand, but also to obey and to live it out. Uh, and we pray this in your name. Amen. As I was thinking about this passage, preparing for this Sunday, I was reflecting on times where I've had too much on my plate. Have you ever had too much on your plate? Just got a lot going on in life, and you're feeling a little overwhelmed. I was thinking back to my second year of college. I remember I was, I had taken on way too much. It was just, I didn't know any better. And I woke up sometime in January and was like, what am I doing with my life? Way too much going on. I remember Sarah and I had just started dating, and classes were hard. There was just more reading. I was trying to learn Greek. Uh, I was supposed to be RAing in the dorms. So we had to lead like weekly floor meetings. You know, it was just like another thing to do every week, right? And somewhere along the way, I was like, "Yeah, I can also do the yearbook. Sure, that sounds brilliant. I've got lots of time for that." So, like, you know, I kind of come to somewhere in the basement, being like, "Wait a second trying to make this yearbook work. Our computer was so ancient, I remember, it would overheat, and we used to just take the side off and have additional fans just blowing on it to try and keep it running while we tried to run this program. And, uh, yeah, I remember sometime in January or February just going, what am I doing? And just realizing I need help. I've got way too much going on, right? I've I've just allowed all this other stuff to kind of, I mean, there's kind of a list of priorities there of what was more important than other things. Yearbook was low on the list, but needed to happen. I needed someone to come in from outside and actually help me out. But you can also imagine my time with God in terms of my personal relationship with God was suffering because I just had way too much going on, right? And they were all good things. It wasn't like it was bad. It was just too much. I needed someone to just take some of the responsibility so I could actually focus on what mattered most, right? I think so often this is the case in our lives. There's just seasons where we, we kind of go, I've, I've just got too much happening. Or I've let so much, uh, so many other things take priority in my life. Maybe they're not even all responsibilities, but I've, you know, devoted an hour every night to, or two hours to watching this show. And I'm like, this isn't even, this isn't even really great. You know, I just sort of lost in it. And yeah, I'm not doing anything else with my life. It, it's easy. It's easy to just fill up the time and fill up our days, even with good things, um, but to lose out on what's most important. And sometimes we need to make those changes just so nothing's neglected, just so even those good things don't get lost between the cracks. We need to just rearrange our priorities, or we need to delegate something to someone else, right? Or lovingly say no to the next request that comes to do something. Sometimes we have a hard time saying no. And I like that in this morning's text from Acts 6, we find the early church, they're just grappling with the need to divvy up the load of the ministry that's before them. There's just a lot going on, and there's a logistical issue, and they decide we need to equip some new leaders, we need to be innovative, we need to be creative with the issues that are before us, and we want to continue to do that well, And we need to change some things so that nothing falls through the cracks. And I think that's a helpful, just that in itself is a helpful reminder for those of us that can become over busy. That there are moments where we just simply need to step back and assess our lives and go, is this really the best way to be doing this? Do I need to give this to someone else? Do I need to ask someone to come and help? 
Um, maybe I need to let something go, right? It starts with a problem. It starts with complaining. This is the, the beginning, uh, first few verses. In Acts 6, verse 1, we get the Greek or the Hellenistic Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews. Depends kind of what translation you use, but that's kind of the issue, uh, how those words will get translated. Because their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. That's what the daily distribution is about. We don't know if this was done intentionally. I mean, likely not. Right? We assume we assume it's it's not the case. But I want to, rather than focusing on kind of the logistics of the issue, let's just kind of take a step back and go, there was grumbling in the camp, right? There's people upset about how things are being handled. Sound familiar, right? There's, there's often... There's often the case that something something could be handled better, right? Whether it's at work or at home or something, right? There's there's often something that could be handled a little better. Luke doesn't doesn't get into who's at fault, which I think is really helpful. He doesn't just kind of take a sidebar and go, here's what, here's why. You know, da, 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 da. he doesn't go into that. What he does is is they recognize there's a problem, and then he focuses on how, how the church leaders can address it. And that's good practice in itself. How often in our own lives, when there's an issue, we can just really, really kind of grind our teeth over who's to blame, right? What the problem is and who's to blame. And we can spend a lot of energy being worked up over the cause of the problem instead of seeking a solution to the problem. They don't spend a lot of time on that, or at least that's not the impression Luke gives, right? Instead, they try to figure out what to do. And that's not surprising that they're running into issues, right? The church has grown in numbers. There's probably thousands at this point. They're running into some problems, some logistical issues. There's likely a lot of widows in the community. Um, and if widows had no direct relatives to kind of care for them, often they would have to rely on the public charity. And if you had family like widows outside of jerusalem it wouldn't be uncommon for them to kind of move into the city where they could get the bread from the daily distribution and stuff right so there's a good chance there was a number a good number of them so there's an issue it stems from a desire to to do good to help but something's getting overlooked and there's a problem how are we going to solve it right well the first thing they do is they summon the 12 summon the disciples they get everyone together and they recognize different kinds of ministry or different kinds of service. There's a ministry of, of basic human needs. And in Greek, this word diakonia is used both to describe the distribution of the bread and the ministry of the word. It's the same word. And so there's the ministry of serving others, caring for people's basic needs. It's the same word used in the waiting for tables. Uh, diakoneo the same root in verse 2. And then there's the, the service or the ministry of the prayer and word in verse 4. So it's the same idea in Greek. It's the same sort of service or ministry, but there's different types and both are essential. And it's worth noting that the apostles, the apostles are not, it's not like they're saying they're above caring for the needy. It's not like, well, our job's better than yours. And so we're going to, it's like not a, not a holier than thou kind of thing. Right? Jesus himself identifies with caring for the poor. So it's not that the preaching of the word is considered more important than the serving tables. It's not a hierarchy 
of what's more important. I think the apostles are just recognizing Jesus has given us a calling to to preach the gospel, to, to preach the resurrection. That's our, our primary commission is to bear witness to that because we're the eyewitnesses, right? That's really important. And in doing that and seeking to fulfill that, the church has grown significantly and we're trying to care well for everybody. And really, we just need more workers. There's more workers that are required. And they're, they're you know, they're... <laughs> all the issues have fallen into their laps and they're going, we're, we're missing out on the main thing that Christ called us to do uh, because we're the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. We, we need to continue doing that, but we can't do that well and do this well at the same time. And so they need to broaden their leadership base, right? They need to delegate some of this stuff to other people. And then we read the list of requirements there of, of, of you know, basically... Uh, pick out from among you seven men. Why do they have to be men? That's just a cultural issue at the time. Typically, the men have more have more ability to do some things and lead than the women do. Though it's so interesting when you know that, reading the rest of Acts, how often the women do play a role and do become leaders in the church, right? Worth noting. Filled with the Spirit. Why is there seven of them? We don't know. Does it, maybe that was the best number to deal with the issue, right? Um, the seven don't need to be witnesses to the resurrection, but they need to be of good repute in the community. These need to be like stand-up people, right? They need to be people of solid character. They need to be well-spoken of. They need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. That's a good idea whenever you're putting someone in leadership, right? And so they do it. Now, one of the challenges when you're reading a book like Acts, well, any passage, any biblical passage really is, is we can run into this habit of proof texting. Proof texting is when you want to just look for a, a biblical backup for some kind of contemporary practice. You just want to find, like, a biblical backup to this thing I'm doing so you can keep doing your thing. Um, it's taking something we do now and looking for the Bible verse to back it up. And that can be done with good intentions because we want to, as Christians, we want to trust the Bible and uphold it and live it out. But we can run into that difficulty, especially when we're reading Acts, because it's not clear often in Acts if Luke is saying something prescriptive, like these are the things that every church should do, or here's the things you should definitely avoid, like Ananias and Sapphira, or if he's just saying, here's what happened. He's writing a descriptive account. So for example, we could be tempted to read into this passage that this is the, the beginning of church governance per se. And Luke is not stopping to say here, every church needs to have a particular leadership structure, right? As though in every new church, you know, that Paul plants later on, they have seven guys that run the food bank program, right? It's just, this is now required from here on. That's not what happens, right? He's simply saying they need more leaders are required to do the task. Um, and that word, diaconia is used. The word deacon is not particularly used. But the idea is the seven are used to help lead and to minister in a particular way. Um, they're not necessarily becoming deacons in the sense we would use today, as in every deacon has to care for widows, right? Um, our board, which are kind of what we would think of as sort of the deacons, aren't, don't actually really do much in terms of caring for widows, I would say, right? There's other areas of ministry that they are called to serve in, 
and we've appointed people to serve in those areas. And that's, that's a way of, of reading and interpreting Scripture that understands, right, it's good and healthy to say, here's the needs in a church body. How can we equip people to serve in those areas? Not necessarily every church must have seven guys that run the food bank, right? Interestingly, when you, when you hear these names, some of them never come up again. But later on in Acts... It turns out these seven are often able to also preach the word. It's not like they can't preach. Stephen, there's signs and wonders that happen through Stephen. Philip, we know, is an evangelist. Um, So it's not even like the seven can't preach or teach. It's not even a clear distinction between kind of pastoral ministry and serving ministry. I think it's, it's best to think of this as the apostles realizing we just can't do everything. We need people to come alongside us. And we need to continue to, to pray and to preach because that's important for us and what, what Jesus has called us to. Four things that I just want to, now that we've kind of walked through the passage, just four things that I think can really relate to us for today. The first thing is that we need to be open to innovation in our own lives. Innovation personally with how we manage our time and how we go about life. But even as a church body, I think we need to be open to the fact that sometimes circumstances change and we need to be flexible with how we handle things. I think that's what's happened here, right? There's a desire to do good. There's ministry that's flourishing. And it, it generates some problems and what, what they think they can do and who's handling it. And they need to become flexible in delegating the work, in, in improvising in a challenging situation. And I can think, how much more has this been evident during COVID, where we've had challenging situations and have had to really be flexible and improvise? I mean, we essentially became a multi-service congregation, and we started live streaming, which we had never done before. I mean, we, we had to upgrade our internet, right, to make it work. And, and, and like I said about the offering, there's things that we just don't do anymore. Um, it's affected when worship team can practice. It's affected how the worship teams even think of functioning in terms of worship, leading worship for two services, right? It's affected how volunteers work in the school and, and in youth ministry and in Sunday school, right? It's affected all sorts of areas. But rather than getting really overwhelmed with the potential changes and focusing on the problem or, you know, shifting blame, what's healthy as a church is for us to go, okay, here's the circumstances. We may not like it, but how can we continue to serve God well and be flexible in order to continue to minister to others, right? And even in our own lives, things can happen where it's like circumstances have changed. I can't do what I used to do. Maybe there's been a medical issue in my life or, or something's happening with someone in my family and things are changing. Am I going to sit and be upset about that? I mean, there's warrant to be upset in some cases, or am I going to trust that God has got me and be willing to maybe be flexible in my own life to shift how I do things so that I can continue to serve God and my neighbor well, right? I think what this calls us to is almost a humility in our hearts. Uh, an open-handedness. Sometimes we're so tight-fisted, right, with how we kind of do things. This is how we want to do it. This is how I want to live my life. This is how I want to go about things. And as circumstances change, sometimes we need to loosen our grip on how we expect life to go or how we expect to run things 
and realize there's room to be flexible or to improvise or to be creative in how we go about living and serving God. So that's the first call for us. I think the second call, very related to that, is a commitment to unity and a commitment to compassion. I like, again, said this already, but we don't get a a section, a large section of them um, complaining and, and pointing fingers at who caused the problem or what's going on. We don't get a lot of that. It would have been easy. Uh, this is early church, right? It would have been easy for them to get fractured over this issue, how to care for these widows. But instead of shifting blame, they focus on the solution. And the solution involves equipping new leaders, calling people into ministry, equipping people, empowering people. The apostles have too many responsibilities on their plates. Again, it's not like they're above serving tables, but they need to carry on with their primary calling, which is to pray and to preach. And so instead of becoming defensive about the issue, there's a commitment to unity, right? We're not going to stop being compassionate. We're not going to stop this outreach that they're doing. We're going to press into that, and we're going to delegate other people to come alongside. And I think even in our own lives and even in our own church life, it's so crucial that we are committed to a unity together. Even when there are issues, even when we may disagree on how to handle something or regulations with COVID or or direction that a church may take, it's really important to press into that relational unity and to seek to walk together in love and not just be upset about the issues that can come up. I like to, they don't stop the program just because there's some trouble, right? Sometimes that can happen too. There's ministries happening and, oh, there's an issue shows up. Well, we're just going to shut down the whole thing. Well, they don't do that. Right? There's a commitment to carry on with this because it's important to care for these widows. It's important to do that well. And even if issues show up along the way, that doesn't mean we just stop doing it. Right? And that's a, good, uh, that's a good reminder even in our own lives or even in ministries that we are involved in. And maybe something comes up. It doesn't just mean that ministry should be axed. Right? Or, or uh, you know, it's just a failure. There may be issues that arise, but we continue to press in because it matters to God. The third thing is there's a real, there's a real highlight here for the apostles to give attention to prayer and to scripture. But I want to make the point that that's not just for the apostles. That's really for all of us. That's important for all of us. When the whole community is able to focus on the care in Acts, the leaders are able to kind of lean back and devote themselves to prayer and to preaching because the prayer and the preaching are the way that the whole body is lifted up. The whole body is nurtured together. And I, will, I won't uh, hide the fact that this is often very difficult for pastors to be in prayer, uh, to be in God's word daily is often a very real struggle. Um, I forget the latest latest statistic was i don't have it in front of me but we were talking about it a few weeks ago i think it was something uh, it was in our bible study and we were talking about how the average pastor spends less than three minutes a day in prayer or something like that and it's it can be a real struggle um often our energy is so focused on meetings and phone calls and text messages and stuff it's easy to get really really busy and it's easy to allow that busyness to make us think that we're really doing good and to find 
a sort of affirmation of ourselves in our busyness. I like what, what Eugene Peterson said about this. Eugene was a real pastor to pastors, and, and he spoke about the issue of busyness in our lives. And this is true for any of us as Christians when we become so busy that we neglect our time with the Lord. Think of, of Mary and Martha, right? Again, of Mary choosing to sit at Jesus' feet. It is the best thing for her. It is, it is the one thing necessary. Whereas Martha is busy doing lots, that's good. It's all excellent stuff, but she's neglected to sit at Jesus' feet. Eugene says this, and this can be quite pointed, I think, for some of us, especially if we're in leadership roles, but for any of us, really. He says, I'm busy because I'm vain. I want to appear important. What better way than to be busy? The incredible hours, the crowded schedule, the heavy demands on my time are proof to myself and to all who will notice that I am important. (laughs) I live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. When others notice, they acknowledge my significance and my vanity is fed. I'm busy because I'm lazy. And if busyness is not the proper mark of the Christian or the Christian leader, then prayer and scripture are. And that means having, for all of us, a deliberate time where we we pay attention to the living God who speaks to us today. Where we choose not to be so busy with everything in our lives, as the apostles were here, that we neglect to spend time with the Lord. That we neglect prayer. And while many of us maybe aren't preaching, we're all called to be in God's word. We're all called to be learning and taking time personally and intimately to be in the Word of God. And that may uh, be a real challenge for us in the busyness of our lives. But I encourage you to be innovative (laughs) and flexible to make those priorities a real, real center focus in your own life. I like here as well, this is the last point I wanted to make, is that we're reminded in Acts that the church is to care for the whole person. We don't just care about saving souls, and we don't just care about hungry tummies. We care about the whole person, and the whole person matters. And I like that even early on at this stage, there is a real emphasis on caring for the poor and caring for those in need and not making that uh, just a side project that doesn't get much attention. It's really important that we care for the whole person, the physical need and the spiritual need. And it's that dual focus of, of preaching the resurrection and providing for the poor that actually changed the shape of the culture at the time. In the Greco-Roman culture, uh, the, there's no care about, about the poor. There's no care for the elderly. There's no care for the person that is unwanted. And the church emerges into that world as a very different community, saying, no, we're going to love these people, even if the world doesn't love them. And there are people in our own lives and in our own society today who may be considered the unlovable ones, right? Maybe the refugee or the unborn or the addict. And it's easy for us perhaps just overlook them. But the church has a long history of caring well and seeking to care well for those that others deem unimportant and uncared for. And so there's a reminder here for us, even as a church here in Dryden, 
where we may sometimes feel we're far away from those issues when really we're not, especially the addictions issues, that there's a call for us to be people of the word, the ministry of the word, to speak and to live out the gospel, but we're also called to minister at the table and to care for the needs of others and to put them first in many ways. And that dual focus of the spirit and the, and the body, of the person, uh, the whole person, uh, is just as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. And so, to that end, I'd like you to join me in prayer as we wrap up the sermon. And, and again, just to think, what are the areas in my life where perhaps I am, I am busy with much that I don't take time for God? where I've been closed-fisted with how I think things should be done and not open to the change that may happen in my life, and the, the reality that God may call me to be a little bit flexible with how things happen in my life. There's a call here for flexibility. And a call to be compassionate, to care for those in need. And some of us, I know it's easy, can ignore those things. And that's why even the 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 food drive for the food bank is just a tangible reminder for us again that we can care well for those in our community and be flexible with our time as we seek to press into God together. So let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, today we are, we are thankful for the many blessings that we enjoy. And we recognize the great needs that are before us. But we thank you, Lord, for your word, which encourages us to press in to serve well even where there is great need i thank you jesus that you call us to be flexible and you show us by your spirit how to how to uh, live and to move according to your will and your desires lord even in our own lives when things happen we can be angry and frustrated when things don't go our way but God, you guide our lives. You have a good plan and purpose for us. And we believe and trust that just as you've called us to yourself and called us out of sin, and called us through repentance and faith into new salvation life, Lord, that you have a good plan and purpose for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be compassionate, that you would help us, Lord, to be uh, united and committed to the unity of the body of Christ in such a time where so much can divide us. Lord, that we would care well for each other. And Lord, that we would care well for those that are in places of great need in our community. Lord, I pray too, just as we're reminded here, that you would help us to put our time with you first and foremost. Lord, that we would be committed to prayer and to your word. And that as we spend that time with you, Lord, it's amazing how much else in life falls into place when we put you first. Lord, we do pray for those in our community that, that need to know you. We think of those that uh, are in places, Lord, of sickness and in need of healing this morning. We lift them up to you. Lord, we pray for our leadership of uh, our civil governments and our provincial and federal governments, Lord, that you would move in the lives of those leaders and their families. Lord, that you would give wisdom, that you would bring renewal, Lord. Give wisdom and, and favor, Lord, to those various ministries and organizations that work 
with our governments. Lord, we do pray for the issues in our world. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we thank you that you are at work in our lives. You care for us. You walk before us. I pray for your grace and your peace upon each one who's here today as we head into a new week. We bless you this morning, Lord, in your name. Amen.